Right, hello, and um, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Hosting as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening. And Cam. Evening, Dan. How are you doing, gents? Good to be back, Dan, after a, a couple of weeks off. Yeah, we've had a bit of an enforced absence. Um, I'll just get this out of the way. Um, just as a reminder for you all, um, if your dad is still here, talk to them about the match, uh, let them get their rubbish opinions out to you, uh, let them berate um, modern goalkeepers who use the feet, uh, let them complain that there's an over-reliance on pace these days and no skill. Uh, I got my dad back in a, a paper bag before. <laughs> At least it was red. Um, so, yeah, that's my message to you. Uh, enjoy your dad while you still can. And now You're right about myself. the over-reliance on pace, though, Dan. You're <laughs> right about that. I thought that would resonate with you. There's um, no place left in the modern game for, you know, those... Uh, like, you think back to when, when we were kids growing up, when there would be players in the Premier League of, of talents, but who weren't particularly quick. Think of Gary McAllister and people like that who were really good footballers, but were never quick, like didn't have pace. They just didn't. Um, and I really look now around the Premier League and, and there just aren't many of those players anymore. Everybody's so quick. Everybody's an athlete. And I get it. It's the advancement of sports science and better diet and everything else. And you can't afford anymore to have plodders um, in positions. But I think there are some really good players who now play in the Championship and League One because they don't have the pace for the the Premier League these days that would have been Premier League players 25 years ago. And that's not just because of foreign players and everything else. It's, it's, I think, partly because of development in the game. There's also plenty of footballers who weren't very good. Was it, was it Orbiton? Yeah. It was, was very, very quick, but very, very poor. Yeah. Oh, we're getting the digs in this early, are we now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you could level the same accusation at Newcastle, but... Yeah, uh, he, he also went to Newcastle, didn't he? He the, did. The last time they were throwing money around. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll send a few their way um, <laughs> the second they get the checkbook out. Well, well, Eddie Howe's just taken over, Cal, mm. so there's a, there's a copyright problem there. I'm expecting a, a, four, a, a like, £200 million bid for Joe Gomez. <laughs> If yeah. we uh, obviously, I've, I've just talked about something difficult, but as always, I do it with a smile on my face. I'm going to cheer myself up now by talking about Liverpool losing at West Ham and David Moyes. Um, there's been some big results over the last couple of weekends in the title of race. I think the the, the problems with Liverpool's squad, which we've talked about on this podcast before, have kind of laid themselves bare. Um, problems in midfield. We just don't have the numbers in midfield, um, amongst some other tactical foibles, which we'll get on to. Um, United are not far off being out completely out of the title race, if not already. Um, City have won one, lost one. Um, it's all a bit bananas up there. I mean, Liverpool are fourth, only, only four points behind Chelsea as we go into the my beloved international break. Um, <laughs> it's been a, it's certainly a much more interesting season than the last two where the champions have romped away with it. Yeah, I think it looks as though we've got an actual race. And I think we, I thought at the start of the season that it was it was going to be a four-horse race. And as you say, United just don't look in any fit state to make a title challenge at this stage. Um, but, but I think there is a three-horse race that's, that's very live. And you go back two weekends. We didn't do a podcast last week. You go back two weekends. And, and you were thinking very much advantage Chelsea. They had a, 
you know, thumping away at Newcastle. I know Newcastle are not a very good side, but Chelsea were, were really impressive. Rhys James scored a couple of great goals. Liverpool threw away a two-goal lead at home to Brighton. Manchester City lost at home to Palace, who for some reason seemed to have a, a really good record at, at the Etihad. Um, and you were like, OK, this weekend has been a slam dunk for Chelsea. And then they come out of that and, and throw points away at home to Burnley in a game that they absolutely dominated until the sort of last 10 minutes. Um, and all of a sudden, Manchester City go and, and win the derby, let's say comfortably, and leave it at that for now. Can't make say more. Um, and, and, and it's back to a three-point gap, and, and Liverpool obviously just a point, point further back from that. West Ham in between them, of course, had that great result against Liverpool. I think we should get it out of the way now because the question has been posed in a couple of places. West Ham are not in the title race. Um, they're just not. Uh, they're, they're doing terrifically well. I've been saying since you know Christmas last year, it is not a fluke what's happening at West Ham. David Moyes is doing a really good job and they've got some really good players. It's not a fluke. They have a way of playing. They all buy into it. Um, but they're not in the title race. You know, if, if West Ham ended up in the race for the top four, as they were last year, even though they didn't make it in the end, that would be a terrific season for them. Um, but on their day, they can give any of them top teams a, a bloody nose, and, and they did to Liverpool on um, on Sunday. So I, yeah, I, I think all three of the, the, you know, the, the big teams are, are still right there. I think probably it will only be those three. I, I, I think West Ham will, will, will drop away a little bit, and I don't think... Manchester United or Arsenal are, are, are going to get close enough. I don't think for all that, you know, Conte's a, a, a big upgrade managerially at Tottenham. I think they're, you know, poor in, in a lot of ways. So uh, it's still a three-horse race. It, it isn't quite as clear-cut as maybe it looked a couple of weeks ago when Chelsea had that that big impressive win. Um, I think I think a lot's going to come down to the, the games between the sides. And obviously, you know, they've all played each other once so far. Uh, Manchester City would probably feel like having been to Chelsea and won and having been to Liverpool and drawn, they're in a good position in that sort of mini-league at the top um, with, with both of the other two teams to, to go to the Etihad in the second half of the season. But yeah, Chelsea went there and won last year. We've seen Liverpool go there and win under, under Jurgen Klopp as well. So while I'd probably make Manchester City very, very slight favourites at this point, I think, I think we're going to have a really fascinating title race all the way to the end. Yeah, it, I mean, not not tons to disagree with there. In all honesty, Paul, it's a pretty good assessment. I think uh, certainly feels like one of those seasons where it could be, you know, unless someone really does run away with it, perhaps after Christmas, it could be one of those where there's a really small points gap between those top few sides because I think they just seem to cancel each other out um, quite a lot, which is why we've seen, um, you know, draws between those teams already when they've played this season. Um, you know, they're going to tend to be fairly cagey. No one's going to want to give too much away um and i think you know all three of them have you know really good sides and really good squads um that can handle you know the 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 demands of playing you know a million times a week across the 73 competitions that we have these days so i i I think it will be very interesting i guess the only thing we we touched on it i think at the start of the season obviously liverpool probably lose out the most with the cup of nations so there's that to kind of throw in the mix as well from a personnel perspective and that'll be a real test um, not just for them, obviously, for other teams as well. But I think there's, that's probably hurts them the most in terms of you know losing really key players um, for a few weeks. So I think yeah, we'll have to come back and see how that impacts things at the start of, of next year. 
Um, but I, I, I think you're right. I think it has to be between those three at this stage. I think West Ham, they sort of play, feel like they're playing the Leicester role a little bit as a top four disruptor. Um, and I guess it is good to have someone doing that so it isn't always the same teams. And, you know, you're right. And someone been... different than Leicester doing that. <laughs> yeah, they've had two <laughs> years. Like they've had two years at it and still messed it up. So, yeah, um, great. Don't get me wrong, taking nothing away from the Ranieri Leicester team, but the Brendan Rogers Leicester team really winds me up. <laughs> they're, they're bipolar, aren't they? You, you just don't know what you're going to get from them. Yeah, yeah. But I think... I, I, think they, I think they, you know, as well, like, it's the little old Leicester thing, when let's be honest, they've screwed it up the last two years. It's been completely in their hands and they've blown it. Um, and because they were kind of the outsiders, no one really says anything. But if one of the big teams had sort of collapsed down the straight two years in a row in kind of true Devon Lock style, the way that um, the way that Leicester did the last two seasons, I think you would never have heard the end of it. And they'd have been asking for the manager to go and all sorts. I mean, I don't think Brendan Rodgers should be under any pressure at Leicester. It would be ridiculous for him to be, but it, it does just go to show the difference in expectation. And yeah. I think that, you know, as a, as a fan of a club who the media love to kind of paint us in crisis every time they have two defeats on the bounce, it does great on me at times when you see a club like Leicester. And I get it's a difference of expectations, um, but I do think they get a bit of a free pass at, the, at times from yeah. uh, media. I- I'm I'm not sure if a, a manager at, at one of those, you know, say any of the clubs we support, I don't know if they survive even one season collapsing like that, never mind get the, the opportunity to collapse again a second. Um, I think they'd probably be out the door. But uh, yeah, but no, I think, you know, just, just back on onto West Ham, you're right. It isn't, it isn't a fluke. They've been sort of steadily building towards this um, and assembling the right group of players and, and the way that they play. I think they are equally, I would say, they probably are just on a, a good run at the moment as well. Um, and, and we've, you know, we've talked about the fact that they've, you know, have the, the privilege of playing, um, you know, the Thursday Cup um, as well. So that, you know, we've got, they've got that to sort of factor in and they, they probably don't, you know, maybe quite have the squad to sort of go the distance. But it's, you know, it is good to see other teams up there and a team that's actually... You know, he's sort of playing some good football, which, you know, you don't always associate with, with David Moyes' side, but he seems to have just got, you know, he's had a, a rough few years. I think that's, we don't need to go into that, but he seems to have come out of it the other side. Um, and, you know, fair, fair, fair play to him. Uh, that He's doing a great job there. But you must, you know, we've only touched on him, but you must be happy with Arsenal, Paul. Um, you know, we, again, we talk about them fairly often. Um, but, you know, it was pointed out to us by a mutual friend of ours that you now sit above Man United, a few points clear in the table. And, you know, we do play in a few weeks as well. Um, but, yeah, you must be sort of happy with, the, you know, if we talk about it, what was it, two international breaks ago? We were saying it was, you know, a really crucial run was needed. And, you know, we all those sort of tests you set down for Arteta, he's, he's kind of passed them. Yeah, they, they have. And, and I think they are, you know, if there is going to be a, a fourth spot battle, if that's what you want to call it, if we all accept that in some order those three teams we've talked about are going to be the top three, then I think Arsenal have put themselves in a position where they can legitimately think about being in that battle with Manchester United and, and West Ham. And let's see if Spurs can recover as well under, under Conte. Um, I mean, there's, there's lots of encouragement. I think, you know, it is, you've got to keep saying it, it is the youngest first team in the Premier League at the moment. The, the, the side that Arsenal have, have got out pretty consistently the last few weeks. I think that's been part of it, that they've been able 
I mean, party missed this weekend, but by and large, they've been able to get the same 11 on the pitch, which makes a hell of a difference. We talked before the season whether actually not being in the Thursday Cup might be a bit of a blessing in disguise for Arsenal for that reason, that they could kind of just pick the same 11 and say go again Saturday to Saturday or Sunday to Sunday. Um, the, the performance at Leicester, I think the weekend before last, where they came out the blocks really fast and, and got themselves in front in the game and then you know, rode a bit of a storm in the second half when Leicester upped the ante a bit uh, was really impressive for a different reason. Sunday was impressive against a team who just came to sit in and, and, and you know, frustrate. Uh, and Arsenal controlled the game in a way that I think in the last couple of years they struggled to do so, even against those those sorts of sides. So, um, yeah, Im- impressive. They got a bit lucky with the goal on, on Sunday. I think they probably should have given the ball back to Watford, if I'm honest. Um, but, you know, such is life. Uh, they're on a good run. They've got Liverpool coming up after the international break. That's that's a major test because, again, we think there are three great sides in the Premier League. Well, when we played the, the other two right at the start of the season, we looked a million miles away. Um, Liverpool's the next chance we get to kind of test ourselves. Uh, I suspect there'll still be a bit of a gap. Um, between I think it's a big test Liverpool for Liverpool. It is, a, it is a test for Liverpool, Dan. I think you're right to say that because... Yeah. Have you lost since that City drubbing no. in the league? No, no, no. They haven't lost in any competition since that City drubbing. Yeah. I think it's 10 games across. I think it's uh, eight in the league and, and two League Cup games um, that they've gone unbeaten. Uh, which, you know, it needed that kind of run just to get things back on the even keel. But equally... Like I'm not getting too carried away. We've we've seen full storms with Arsenal before, right? We've it's almost like remember the, when Julier was in charge at Liverpool and there was the I I think we've turned the corner T-shirts that I think it was Football Three Six Five was selling because <laughs> Gerard used to say it every time they won a game, um, and and it feels a bit like that at Arsenal that we've maybe turned corners plenty of times. But I, I look at this side now and I start to see the bones of a team that not this year but next year and the year afterwards could be a genuine contender to try and get in those top four places. If they can add a couple more players, they, they need a younger body up front, clearly, because of Bamiang and, and Lacazette, albeit they're playing reasonably well at the moment. They're, they're not going to keep going forever. Bless, bless Gerard, Julia. <laughs> um, if, if we move on, speaking of managers to uh, the merry-go-round, because it started in earnest, doesn't it? Um, Eddie Harwin at Newcastle, um, Daniel Farker bizarrely sacked after uh, Norwich got the first win of the season. Uh, really strange timing, that one, I thought. Dean Smith paid for five losses in a row. I'm kind of surprised at that one, but I feel bad for him because I've got a lot of time for Dean Smith. It's um, it's all moving parts yet again, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's you can tell it's that sort of pre-run-up pre to Christmas international break sacking season is is well and truly upon us um and yeah you're right it is that that mid-season merry-go-round um i think uh yeah the norwich one is bizarre like i think i said to you guys it's a classic championship manager move because it used to happen to me all the time i'd go on a dreadful run and then i'd win a game and i'd get sacked um so i know so i know how he feels uh, but I mean, we've you know we've I've, I've witnessed some of your bad manager <laughs> runs gone. I'd have been sacking you long before that. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, we've talked about um, 
you know Norwich a few times on this in terms of what are they trying to do and where where are they going to go and I, you know maybe they did just need to to cut the cord. I don't know if Farker has himself done a lot like wrong there really. You know, I mean he's 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 got them um, promoted you know twice, but clearly something isn't quite right when they come up. But how much of that is really down to him? You know, we've said before around what's become available to him to try and you know, bolster the team to be Premier League quality and, and obviously hasn't been able to do that. So, you know, the talk of, what is it, Lampard linked with that one? They haven't appointed anyone yet, have they, that I'm aware of? Um, no, no La- appointment, but, you know, but Lampard's... yeah, Frank seems to be the favourite. Yeah, and, and so what, what's Frank Lampard ever done to, to, like, wave himself around as a candidate to be a man to get someone off the foot of the table? Well, well, this is it, yeah. What what What's the expectation there? How How is he an upgrade? You know, what, what are they asking him to do? Is, is that a... In what first week of November they're saying we're down, work with us to rebuild, and then what are they going to do? Are they going to give him more money because he's Frank Lampard? You know, I don't, I don't really understand what the strategy is there. And you know, Norwich are always one of those teams. Everyone's oh, they're a well-run club, they're a well-run club, but kind of wondering if they actually are because it, it it does seem <laughs> a little bit bizarre there. But yeah, I don't know what don't know what you guys think. I, I think that point on that you make on, on Lampard and, and if I was Frank Lampard it would be the first question I'd be asking because we've had we've had the discussion right Farker got them up completely unexpectedly the first time I mean I, I actually did tip them that year but generally they were a massive outsider in the championship no one thought they were a realistic candidate for promotion they they come up uh, they gave it a bit of a go they had a good start that year but ultimately ran out of puff and, and didn't have the quality and, and got relegated since then and now, like between then and now, if you like, they've sold Ben Godfrey, Jamal Lewis, and Wendia, who you'd argue were maybe three of their best five players, probably with Max Ahrens and, and Todd Cantwell. Five, they were the sort of five players in that youngish age group with potential and a bit of experience in the Premier League. You thought, OK, if you can keep those five and build around them. But they've sold three of those five since their first relegation, came back up and basically said to Farker, well, you didn't keep them up with those three players. Have a go without them. Um, that's, that's not gone particularly well. Uh, if I'm Frank Lampard, I'd be wanting guarantees that there's some plan, whether I get relegated or stay up, for me to actually eventually make Norwich a sustainable Premier League club. for a, Not forever, because it's never going to be forever for a club like Norwich. But is there a plan for us to get into the Premier League and then give ourselves a chance to stay there for three, four, five seasons? Because realistically, that's all Frank Lampard's looking at, because then he'll be wanting to move back on up the ladder, um, having having obviously you know been sacked at Chelsea. But he'll want another opportunity in the, in the top half of the table. And I, I just don't see that, unless what they're going to go and do is is spend some money that they've previously brought in that wasn't available to Daniel Farker. Or they're going to say, well, sell Campwell and we'll sell Max Ahrens and Frank, all the money is yours and you can spend every single penny of it to completely rebuild us. I, I don't see any reason that it's an attractive job. Um, like it's a Premier League job. That's That's it, isn't it? It's a Premier League job. Um, but other than that, there's nothing going for it. It's a Premier League job only in name, really. It's yeah. not a Premier League squad. Um, and it's not behaved in the last three or four years like a Premier League club. I think they're a well-run club in the sense that they are very prudent and very financially sensible and they don't put themselves in bad positions. They 
had that period in League One where they nearly went bump, and I think they learnt a lot of lessons from that. But well-run football clubs are still capable of developing plans for how they're going to improve and, and be ambitious and grow. And I don't know at Norwich whether that bit is quite is quite in place. And and I I just think it'd be a strange job for Frank to take, but maybe he hasn't had you know maybe he hasn't had many offers. Who knows? Well, Frank Lampard's thrown the kettle over a pub. What have you ever done? <laughs> well, quite, Dan. I mean, I'm not in line to be the Norwich manager, though. <laughs> I think the Villa one will be an interesting job. Um, I mean, like, but there's not really much to say about the Tottenham job. Conte was pretty much a no-brainer appointment for them, I thought. But I also thought it was a no-brainer appointment for United a few weeks ago as well. So there we go. But with, with the Villa job... I reckon um, if if that's offered to Gerard, I think he may take that one. I think I think that might be his uh, his into the Premier League. Yeah, it seems as though Gerard's top of their shortlist, doesn't it, at the moment? Um, I know they've been linked with the Denmark manager as well, and he he potentially is a as a candidate. But it, it looks as though their preferred choice would be to get Steven Gerrard. I wonder at Aston Villa, what happens if Steven Gerrard says yes, I'll come, but I won't come till the summer. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing, isn't it? Like when 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 Brendan Rodgers left uh, Celtic for Leicester, if I remember rightly, he left in the March time. Was yeah, it, mm-hmm. it he was did. like late in the season. For for, for for Stevie now, what more is there left for him to achieve in in Scotland apart from winning back to back titles, which Rangers really should do because Celtic are a bit of a mess at the moment. Uh, and like, I I don't really see what else there is for him to to do. To be honest, I I think that if he's going to take that job, he should take it now. Yeah, I mean, so do I. So do I. I think he should take it if he's offered offered it. I, I don't think there's anything to be gained in Scotland, frankly, for him at this stage. I, I just wonder. I mean, you know, uh, it, it, what what does he see as the end game? I suppose is is the, is the question. And is he willing to kind of take the flak that will no doubt come of, of walking out on on Rangers halfway through a season um, to go and take the Aston Villa job? Uh, Rangers fans will still consider themselves bigger than Aston Villa, uh, whether that's right or wrong. Um, I, I, I think it's an interesting position that they're in. A lot also has been made of the fact that Christian Perslow, who was on the board at Liverpool when when Gerald played there, uh, is is now in charge at Villa. And will you would have thought be heavily involved in the in the managerial recruitment? Um, I do feel a bit for Dean Smith. I do. I, I think they're something not quite right at the moment. I think you saw that when they played at the Emirates the other week and they just never, you know, watched that game and they they didn't play with the energy and enthusiasm that we saw from Villa last season in the Premier League. So um, I, I can see that, but at the same time, he got them up into the Premier League. He kept them up against all odds that first season. If you remember, they, they won something like four of their last five, didn't they, to survive. They were, yeah. they were dead and buried at one point and went on a great run. Then they really kicked on last season and had a good year. I know that the form tailed off at the end, but I think he's a little bit unfortunate. I do. Um, and I think the timing does play a part in it. The fact that it is an international break and the fact that they think some, they've got the chance to really spend two weeks kind of targeting the guy they want and, and, and getting them in. I think all those are contributing factors. Um but I, I do feel for Dean Smith, and he'll be back. Maybe, maybe not with a Premier League job. Although I think Norwich could do worse than appointing him. If I'm I honest. was just just gonna say that, yeah. that would be 
I think I think he'd be a good appointment there. Um, whether they go down or stay up, and um, yeah, he'll be back. Whether it's whether it's with a Premier League job or whether one of those clubs in the Championship who are just just outside the playoffs who think they might have a, a chance of sneaking in want to make a move for him. But um, he's a good football manager. He did well at Walsall. He did well at Brentford. He's done a good job at Villa. He won't be short of offers. Well, I'll tell you a team who might have their eye on him quite soon if the season doesn't improve. PNE. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he'd be a terrific get for Preston. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if he'd consider that job, but he'd be a terrific get for them. Yeah, although PNE seems to be a bit of a managerial step down. Like Alex Neil did a really good job at Norwich for a while, and he went to to PNE, and it was a bit of a of a disaster, really. Yeah, I, I I think it's it's not an easy job, and you know, uh, the owners died recently as well, hasn't he? So I don't know what sort of position the club's in financially. Um, but yeah, I mean, he'd be he'd be a terrific get for a club like Preston. Uh, I wonder if somebody like a, a Stoke or you know a QPR or someone like that who's kind of on the periphery of the playoff positions and, and thinking this might be an opportunity. Um, Dean Smith is probably an upgrade in both of those spots. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. But I, I do feel a bit sorry. I mean, I'm not, not always the biggest fan of his kind of attitude on the touchline. I find him a bit irritating. Um, but his, his track record's very good. He won't be able to work. No. I, I think of, of, of those, you know, managers who've, who've gone to create these vacancies or whatever, you feel like he's the one that could have ridden it out. Like, if you think about you know, Bruce at Newcastle was 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 done, um, and uh, you know Spurs were going nowhere, even though that was you know fairly short appointment, and obviously they struggled massively to get someone in the first place. Um, and similar with Norwich, right? They you know they weren't they weren't going anywhere. You f- you feel that Villa and and Smith is the one that maybe that could have turned around, um, but equally, yeah, they have been. They have been just haven't looked themselves th- th- this whole season, really. I know it's the the recent you know run they've had um, in particular of what was it five five straight losses, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And we played what eleven, so 11. But, but they haven't even before that run. You know they just had didn't look the same. Now we, you know we knew there was going to be a bit of a post Grailish transition, but it it just doesn't feel like it's it's quite worked. I don't know how involved um, the manager was in those in those signings. I don't know enough about the setup at, at Villa. Mm. Um, as to whether they were his signings or or whatever, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, the Gerard one, I, I you know, I interested to see how he sort of develops. It is difficult to tell in you know in the Scottish league quite how how good someone is. But he has done, you know, I think he has done a really good job at at Rangers. And I, I can sort of see from his perspective where he would perhaps want to stay and win those back to back titles just to have it on your CV. Because um, I know it's only in Scotland, but you know, not many managers get to do that um, in any league. So I can sort of see, and I think it almost like reaffirms that it wasn't a fluke as well. Um, so I can sort of see reasons why he'd want to stick around and do that. But you can't imagine that Villa would want to wait um, till the summer. You think they they will need someone now. So it's either you want to join us or you don't. And then it's up to him. But, you know, the, the law of the Premier League, I suspect, um, might be might be too much for him. Because um, you assume you talk about his end game. I mean, I assume it's like, well, I've proved I can do it in Scotland. If I can work wonders at, at, at Villa and, and get them back as one of those fringe, you know, playing that Leicester West Ham role as a top four disruptor, then, you know, in the next sort of three years, when Klopp decides he's had enough, 
I'm, I'm then sort of fattened up and ready for the Liverpool job. I imagine that's his, his sort of five-year plan. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I, w- I would imagine it's not, not far off that. I mean, that sort of segues into a conversation I think we want to have about, you know, ex-players and, and management sort of later on. But I, I, I wonder, like, what would Steven Gerrard have to do at Aston Villa to make him number one candidate for the Liverpool job? Dan, I don't know if you've got a view on that. What, what would have to constitute success in the next, let's say Klopp does another three years after this one. Let's just say that for argument's sake. He may well be there longer, but in a world where Jurgen Klopp does this season and three more, so Steven Gerrard gets three and a half years at Aston Villa to prove himself as a successor at Liverpool, what would he have to achieve in those three and a half years to be the number one candidate? Well, I'll play the game, the hypothetical game, but I, I, I will say out right now, th- there's nothing that he could do that would make me want him as manager, because <laughs> I, I am not. Like, I saw pretty much every game that Stephen Gerrard played for Liverpool. He's my favourite ever Liverpool player. I, I don't want it to. I don't want him to get in that dugout and for it to go wrong. Um, you know, like. Can I suppose you might be able to relate to how I'm feeling? Well, to a, to a degree. I mean, first of all, I'd say, I mean, it's going to happen, Dan, at some point. <laughs> whether you like it or not, in the next few years, I mean, it is going to happen. Whether he succeeds Klopp directly is, is, is a separate thing. But in our lifetimes, I think it's fair to say it is going to happen. Um, I, I still don't think, to be fair, I mean, like, you know, Saltshaw has that more like cult figure status at Old Trafford. It's not quite the same as, as a Gerrard. So it's not quite, you know, it isn't, it isn't quite the same. Um, but I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I think ex players do a fantastic job as uh, <laughs> as, as managers. I'd get him in, get him in tomorrow. Um, I mean, the, but, the equivalent would have more been Brian Robson becoming the Man United manager. You know, if Fergie yeah. had retired when he originally said he was going to in 2002 or whatever, the equivalent would have been Brian Robson, who'd done well at Middlesbrough, a couple of relegations, a couple of promotions, few cup finals him becoming the Man United manager, like, I, I, I just struggle to see what Gerard can do at Villa if he goes there that would make you say he's the right man to replace Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Let's say he gets in the top four once in three years. And, and even that would be, a don't get me wrong, that would be an incredible achievement at Villa. Let's say in the, he, he does three and a half seasons and in one of the full seasons they scrape fourth and get into the Champions League. Does that automatically mean he's got the CV to be the Liverpool manager? It's or is the, reality, is the reality that as long as he doesn't show that he's bad at Villa, his background at Liverpool means he's the number one candidate anyway, even if he finishes eighth, ninth, seventh at Villa? I think a, a lot of it, what I think will catch people's attention, is the style of football. Now, it's yeah. difficult to judge because I, I, I don't watch a lot of Rangers and Celtic. I'm not being dismissive of the Scottish League. It's a competitive league. It still needs to be won. You know, like it, it's it's not um, the greatest league by any means. But I, 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 all I know is that Rangers don't seem to concede many goals. But if they're winning games 1-0, and you know, it's a lot of it is kind of passive then that's not that that won't last at Liverpool. It, it just it just won't be allowed. You know, like, and I'm not so sure it'll last at Villa. But then again, Villa fans love Martin O'Neill, so perhaps uh, 
Perhaps I'm being optimistic there, but like what what I'd be looking for in answer to your question, which I've kind of gone around the houses with, is yeah, I'd want to see Villa consistently towards the top six, you know, like challenging for European football. F- for me, I think he's proven himself to an extent because he's got ranges quite far in comparison to their ability in Europe. Yeah, uh, a couple of times. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure how this to set this season, but last season. They went out in that very, very ill-tempered game against Sparta Prague. But Sparta Prague are no mugs. He's had a couple of decent European runs, hasn't he? His first year there, they they, they did all right in the in the Europa League as well. So I think that's probably a fair point, actually, that you know maybe his proof that he doesn't find European football, albeit in the second division of European football, he, he doesn't feel that's you know he doesn't find that too big a stage. I, I think that that is a factor worth worth considering. Yeah. But you know. I mean, if he gets the Villa job, we will we will start to get an answer of of what kind of manager is Stephen Gerrard going to be ultimately. And, yeah. and that's it. He needs to do a good job at Villa and and catch the eye. And what one thing I will say is that he seems to me to be ready to manage. I mean, Rangers are a big club. I'm not denying that for one second. But like the Liverpool manager's job is different. Everything revolves around the manager at Liverpool, and that's what Jurgen does better than anyone I, I've seen at Liverpool. He, he takes the whole club on his shoulders, and he's he's completely fine with that. Um, I've seen Gerard really, really go to town on on some of the, the journalists in Scotland who have asked him mischievous questions. Um, so I think he's ready for the rigours of a Premier League job. I actually think, in terms of how he handles himself, he, he, he I could see him in Liverpool dugout. I don't really want to. My, my mind might change on that, but it's it's kind of like it's a phrase that I don't like, but it's something with, with Xavi going to, to to Barcelona. He, he understands the club, he, he mm. knows how the club works, and that will get you some places. Yeah. Well, that was what we wanted to talk about, right? Dan was that we had the conversation sort of twelve months ago around Christmas time when I think Lampard was first coming under pressure at, at Chelsea. Um, about this sort of trend towards the the big clubs, if they can't get one of the seven or eight, you know, elite managers who are sort of out there as the established big names, then the next best option seems to be go and get someone who's a recently retired high-profile player um, who's been at your club, who understands the way that your club operates. And it's that comparison that we made. And maybe Nuno is more proof of it at Spurs, actually. It's almost like managing Wolves and getting them promoted out of the Championship and finishing eighth twice in the Premier League. I think it was eighth they finished, wasn't it? Or maybe seventh and eighth. Um, doing that is great, but it's still no preparation for managing one of the big six teams in terms of expectation, in terms of what it involves, in terms of the media attention, in terms of the reaction on social media when you lose a game. It, it just... Having a track record at a second tier, and I don't mean that as in, in, in a second division, but, but a club that's just outside that elite sort of status... Um, seems to be no preparation anymore for managing one of the top, top clubs. Uh, and that seems to be why they would rather go, Barcelona would rather go for someone like Xavi, who understands the way that 
the modern Barcelona is run and the way it operates and the way, you know, some of the challenges that there are there, and we've, we've talked about them on the podcast before, um, they'd rather go that route than go and get somebody, you know, than go and appoint Unai Emery, for example, who, who got Villarreal into the, the Champions League last year, albeit by winning the Europa League. Um, again. Again. Uh, the only time he didn't win it was when he was our manager. Cheers, <laughs> um, the, uh, You know, they, they'd rather go the Xavi route than go and get someone like an Unai Emery type manager. And I, we've seen it at Arsenal with, with Emery not working out and then them deciding to go that way with Arteta. We've obviously seen it at Manchester United with, with Solskjaer and that feeling that he at least understood the club in a way that maybe Mourinho never quite did and that Van Hal definitely didn't. Um, and, and possibly that Moyes never did. Uh, and David Moyes, we've, we've seen with what he's doing at West Ham, right? David Moyes is a good manager, but he, he didn't understand Manchester United. And, and I think that that would be the part of the logic behind appointing someone like Steven Gerrard at Liverpool is, while it's going to take a big personality to follow Jurgen Klopp whenever he does decide to, to, to leave, for whatever reason, um, at least with someone like Steven Gerrard, you've got a high-profile figure who understands the football club. Now, that doesn't always work out, but it does seem that that trend towards that sort of appointment, you know, Xavi's just the latest example, it, it is out there, and I... I don't think it's going to go away because I don't think the top clubs feel anymore that you can just go and pluck a manager from a mid-table club who's overachieved, stick him into a top club and say, he'll do a good job for us. Like, you know, no one's appointing Bruce Rioch anymore. Yeah, it, it's either, yeah, it's either you've won a title in a either domestic or usually foreign league and we'll bring you over from Spain or Italy or Germany you know, ideally a top, a sort of top yeah. tier foreign league. Um, maybe include France if we're being generous. Um, or or you, you've got a history with the club in some capacity, and that and that can range from, you know, let's face it. You know, we talked about Arteta was is not exactly embedded in the fibre of Arsenal, was he? But he had history. Solskjaer yeah. had history. Uh, you know, Lampard. You know, was a huge player for Chelsea, and and obviously Gerrard was for Liverpool and, and would have that connection if he came back. I think the you know, the key thing with, with Gerard is is he and you went back to, you know, you mentioned like his handling of the medium and things like that, you know, I, he doesn't strike me as someone that would sound like a competition winner in, in you know, when he's in the hot seat. Um I think he, he would carry himself in, in that right way. Partly because he knows the club, but I think just partly his his personality and the experience he's had so far and the fact that whilst he has been in a, you know, second or third tier type league in in Scotland, um he has still been managing a big club that play in a big stadium in front of sold out crowds and play in Europe. And he's got that experience. So I think there are, there are, you know, reasons in there that you think potentially on paper, it, it could, it could be a good fit. The, 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 the other side to that, I suppose is, you know, it, obviously whatever happens in the next couple of years, you know, following Jurgen Klopp is going to be no, no easy task. And as, yeah. as Paul and I have seen in our respective clubs, following a, you know, a really great manager, um, is is not easy so there's there's that as well and it's would you want your you know to have that directly on you know one of your club legends you know Arteta didn't follow Wenger Solskjaer didn't follow Fergie um it's do you want do you want do you need a fall guy do you need an Emery do you need a Moyes to come in and almost take that 18 month hit and then be like right now we can parachute in Gerard as the rescue mission 
if we're looking for a fall guy, I'm happy to get Hodgson in for about six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be about how long he was in for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Six weeks too long. <laughs> um, I think I, I think it's a, it's a good point. I don't know who you were referring to, Con, when you said sounds like a competition winner, but I can hazard a guess. <laughs> um, I, I think it is a fair point that there's there's something about the way that those people are able to present because they understand what they're what they're walking into that that is difficult. I mean, you know, one of the big problems Unai Emery had not was his presentation. And I don't necessarily just mean um that the way he, he sort of spoke to the media, which obviously his English wasn't wasn't the best, but um the way he acted at times didn't strike you as as an Arsenal manager, not in the sense of him lacking any class, because he he absolutely didn't. But you know, at times he sort of bounced up and down on the touchline like Martin O'Neill, and and again, I don't think that really sort of fits the the profile that that I think of as as an Arsenal manager. That that wasn't really Wenger, and it it certainly wasn't George Graham who barely cracked a smile when we won the league at Anfield. You know, that's not that's not the style of manager Arsenal's traditionally had, and. And I think there is, again, there's something about that understanding that you think those ex-players bring to it. Uh, bless him at the moment, Ole looks as though he doesn't want to get up and stand in the technical area, which I don't blame him for. <laughs> he looks as though he prefers the safety of the dugouts. He's welcome yeah. to leave any time he likes. <laughs> I'm feeling unsafe because that's twice in this podcast. Martin O'Neill's come up and that's twice to, tw- twice too many times. Twice times uh, you know what I mean. We know what he's trying to say, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Too often, let, put it that way. Yeah, let's let's try and keep the podcast a Martin O'Neill free zone. But very interesting discussion that about um, ex players, and, and 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 yeah, you know, it, it's it's difficult to follow. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm dreading the day Jurgen goes. I, I have a feeling that that Jurgen might might sign another extension. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I think the important thing for us to do it when that time comes is if he wants a sabbatical, give him the sabbatical. Get the assistant manager to be the manager for a year. It's worth it. But that's um, a, a difference. But he's, he's got a contract until 2024. So, that, um, I mean, that would be unique. That would be a unique way of going about it. Well, it's it's the mistake the club made with Kenny. When, yeah, yeah. When Kenny yeah. was burned out, he, he wanted a rest. And instead of us just saying, OK, off you go, we'll put one of the boot room in charge. Um, we didn't. We appointed Sunus, and it took us a long time to recover from. And not all the Sunus's ideas were bad, but um, it just didn't work for a multitude of reasons. All before really my time as a football fan. Um, so yeah, if if Jurgen wants wants a sabbatical, give it to him. He's that good. It's worth it. Um, but that's a, a conversation for twenty twenty four, and hopefully not even then. Hopefully a bit longer. But um, with because Jurgen is so intense, yeah, uh, you know he, he probably does need the break. Uh, the kind of he'll have been the manager for what uh, uh, eight years by then. Eight years is a long time to be as intense and uh, it, nine years. Sorry, but yeah, it's a long time to be that intense and focused and. He also, and without wanting to kind of turn this into a sort of, you know, when will Jurgen Klopp leave Liverpool section, because I don't think that speculation's prompted by anything particular other than us just having a sort of general chat, but um, 
I think there is an interesting period coming up for Liverpool because he, we, we talked about it at the start of the year. He, he needs to, in the next probably 18 months to two years, start to rebuild the, you know, this great team that's done fantastically well for him, two Champions League finals, um, you know, a, a Premier League win, a fantastic unbeaten run. You know, he, he, he does need to start the process of rebuilding that side. And, yep. uh, and we've talked about, you know, Liverpool don't have, I mean, they're not, they're not paupers by any means, but they don't have the budget that the other uh, the other clubs up there, Man City and Chelsea, have. And equally, Michael Edwards, who was really involved in that in that squad build in the first place, he's decided he's going to going to move on after the season as, as technical director or sporting director or wherever his his title is. So, you, you know, there is an interesting time coming for Jurgen Klopp. I'd be surprised if, having started that process like you, Dan, I'd be surprised if he he then sort of bailed on it. You know, two years into a new building, a new team, I would think, um, unless it goes really badly, <laughs> I would think that he he will, if he's committed to to doing this rebuild, he will he will stay and try and see it through. Uh, but yeah, I, it's it's a it's a fascinating challenge, and as Khan's already referred to, sort of replacing legends as managers is is not easily done. No, it's it's serious business. I'm depressed enough. Let's not talk about this any longer. <laughs> um, one thing I want to sneak in on you both, because it was a very interesting topic. The last time we were going to record, I was watching the build-up to Preston against Liverpool. Preston, for a, a Carlin fizzy pot pointless cup game against Liverpool, at Deepdale rested 10 players. They, they changed 10 players. and Rick Parry was frantically trying to justify the competition, and everything is on the table for next year, apparently, when the only thing on the table that I can see is that a winter... World Cup is going to knock the Carabao Cup on the head. Um, any kind of like, reaction to that from from your good selves? I, I thought that was very interesting that, that Rick Parry was was on trying to kind of give it the big sell and saying everything's on the table, nothing's off the table about how we get round this. And I, I don't see how the competition, at least for next year, isn't knocked on the head because of the World Cup. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I, I think we've seen it increasingly, haven't we? That you know, I mean, when I was a kid, everybody played their first teams in every cup game. And then it started with the Premier League teams didn't play their first teams in the League Cup. And then it became the Premier League teams don't play their first teams in the League Cup or the early rounds of the FA Cup. And then it became actually championship teams don't play their first team in the League Cup. And and championship teams don't play their first team in the FA Cup if they get drawn against a lower league team. And now it appears, as you said, Dan, a championship club drawing a Premier League team at home, which you go back even five, ten years, that would have been what a chance for this championship club to, you know, give a Premier League club a, a bit of a, a bit of a shock on their own ground. I mean, I remember Arsenal going to Sheffield Wednesday in about 2012, 2013, and I think getting beat 3-0 in the League Cup. And we played out reserves and Sheffield Wednesday played the full first team and beat us off the off the pitch and deserved deserved it. Um and you kind of just don't see that anymore because everybody accepts that the League Cup is a game for resting people and, and playing your second team. Um until you get to at least the semi final. It's the semi finals really in the League Cup before anyone puts their first team out now. Um which is which is super, super interesting. Uh and I think it does raise questions about the future of the competition. I think you're right about the World Cup next year. That will have a knock-on effect. 
And if I was the Football League, my concern about letting the League Cup go away for a year is whether it would ever come back. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I've been saying, and I've said in this podcast, and I've said to you privately, Dan, for as long as I've known you, I think the Football League should have been out in front of this and should have been trying to reform the League Cup from within uh, for a number of years. And they've kind of missed the boat a little bit. And it may get to the stage where now it's a choice between keeping it or, or not having it. Um, but but let's see. I mean, it was interesting. Man City also lost in the League Cup, which I didn't think was allowed to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. There's got to be some kind of breach of the game, laws of the game. The... What, what irony it would be, though, if it's the uh, Qatar World Cup that has to come in that kills your least favourite competition, though. What a moral conflict that is. The World, <laughs> the World Cup that we don't want to happen, uh, but is, uh, is getting rid of our, our least favourite tournaments. <laughs> it, it, it's weird, Khan, because at the moment, like I, I like to see the young players play in the Carling Cup. Uh, Jurgen, that, that's what Jurgen's decided the Carling Cup is for: blood and young players. So I, I don't really dislike the Carling Cup as much as I have in the past. When I would dislike it is if we get to the semi-finals in January, which is a busy month, and we suddenly have to start playing people and then resting people in league games. That would be when I would become annoyed again. So I'm actually looking at it and thinking. You know, we've got Sunderland in the quarterfinal. We should win that game. It means a two-legged semi-final in January. Now, if we were playing in Europe, I'd be thinking, oh, that's games we don't really need. Actually, when you don't have any midweek football for most of the season... It's fine. It's fine. And actually, yeah. you think for Arsenal, it's an opportunity. Two legs, that means you, you at least get a home game. Even if we end up playing one of the bigger teams, you, you get two goes at it. Um, it, it. It might open up as a bit of an opportunity, but... It is always a challenge, I think, for those teams in Europe. Yeah, that that's it. European football and the Carlin Fizzypot Pointless Cup don't mix. Um, just to, to kind of bring things to, to a close, because um, this, this is going to be one of our bumper episodes, I suspect, um, in the, the time we've been away, um, it was announced that Jeff Stalin would be leaving soccer Saturday. Um, I don't really want to pay tribute to Jeff Stalin because he's not died or anything, but um, soccer Saturday will certainly never be the same and to be honest with you football coverage will never have someone as revolutionary because there was for a long time there was nothing like Soccer Saturday and there was nobody like Jeff Dellin um, it brought quick snappy coverage with quite a bit of wit every now and again um, to your front room and there was nothing like it and I'm really going to miss Jeff's dad and I still watch Soccer Saturday now it's not been the same since they moved on uh, the, the the old guard last season and I think that was probably influenced Jeff that it was his time he's quite candid about the way he feels about things he just said it was time to hand over to someone new I'm, I'm really going to miss Jeff yeah, I think I think I think well, very very well said, Dan. First of all, I think I think we all I think we all will. I think any one of our or certainly sort of our our age, if you like, you sort of feel like you almost grew up on on Soccer Saturday to a degree. Um, and I think we've all spent many many hours <laughs> watching some middle aged men watching football. Um, I mean, it's a bizarre concept for a show, really, when you think about it. Yet it just football and goggle box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it paved the way for goggle box. Um, but uh, yeah, and and Jeff really sort of made it his 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 own. And you're right, it won't it won't be the same without him. And I I almost hope they don't try and make it the same. That maybe they use it as a chance to to sort of do something different with it perhaps because if you just get someone else in with some scripted quips 
um it won't it won't be the same as 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 jeff that's that's for certain but uh yeah i think with with the guard with them you know changing the guards a bit you know what was it last season you felt like that was perhaps the beginning of the end of that era and it, it you know it wasn't a shock i don't think really to hear that he was moving on because it kind of felt like um yeah that that was just that the, the right the right time if you like um but yeah he'll definitely definitely be missed by i think you know pretty much every every football fan i would have thought yeah he's he's been an absolute legend i mean he will go down as one of the finest football presenters um uh, you know in the history of, of broadcast football and he did very little live you know he did a little bit of champions league live for sky before they lost the rights if you remember he he presented the champions league the last couple of seasons that they had it um but other than that he's done very little live football and yet when you think about the best football presenters of your lifetime he's he's right up there with you know with the deadlines of the world at the top of the list so um it it will be the end of an era it will feel as though it's it's never quite going to be the same on on soccer saturday um i do think it, it, you can tell he doesn't quite enjoy it the way he used to um and i think his his mates be moved on and they were really tight that group from my understanding that the sort of um jeff stalin Paul Merson, Matt Letizia, Phil Thompson, Charlie Nicholas, Alan McAnally, that that kind of group, Chris Kamara, they, they were pretty tight with one another. And um, I think it probably does feel to them like, you know, when they when they got broken up, it, it probably wasn't going to last much longer. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Merce follows him, to be honest. Um, it was the kind of last one of that group left on the panel uh and leaves it to Tim Sherwood and Lee Hendry and Darren Bent and I actually quite like Clinton Morrison. I think you can imagine Clinton Morrison on the old panel because he's a bit like Merce. He he can't pronounce anyone's name. He stumbles all over his lines. Uh he's kind well, of because explanation of what's going on is a bit a bit higgledy piggledy. But you can tell he loves watching football, right? His passion um come comes across the screen whereas Tim Sherwood looks like he wants to go home the moment he starts talking and frankly we all wish he would. <laughs> I was just gonna say the those exact same words, yeah. I mean he must look like a soulcom because he keeps forgetting his Sheila. <laughs> I think um... oh, No, I mean Jeff would be missed and I agree with Con. I hope they don't just I can't think of it. Is he is he named Jules Farrington, the guy who does it midweek? I can't think of his surname. Yeah, I know it, Jules Farrington. I don't yeah, it, not um, not Jeff, not Jeff. The guy who does it midweek. Yeah, the guy who does his midweek, who's not terrible at it, but I I don't. I hope they don't just promote him to the Saturday gig and keep everything else the same, because I don't think that'll work. I think they do need to maybe think about the format and and just change it a little bit to allow whoever the new presenter is, to sort of make it their own. Um, because otherwise, you'll just be doing a poor impersonation of um, of Jeff. And that's, yeah, that's probably not going to be uh, in anyone's interests. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we could really mix it up and get Chris Kamara in as a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get Chris from the, from the get with the ground into the <laughs> studio. I mean, he'd be all over the place, wouldn't he? Catching yeah. up with that video. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd be he'd t- too loyal to Jeff. Anyway, they'll be off on the golf course probably. Oh, I think I think yeah. I mean you're right. They were they were clearly pals, but I think Jeff and Cammy in particular seem to be like best mates. I think from what I could tell. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it, 
it probably at like well i'm not sure sky handled it very well i i do get that they were trying to kind of you know frankly look none of us can remember phil thompson playing none of us can remember charlie nicholas playing yes we can remember merce and we can remember matt letitier but you've got to think that generation 10 years younger than us probably can't remember any of those four playing uh and and if you think about the first time they really kind of refreshed the panel when the the uh, Gordon McQueens and Frank McClintock's and Rodney Marshes and George Best's went off the original panel. It was partly because look, nobody rem- nobody remembers any of them guys playing, um, and and I it was time for a change. And I think it took them a couple of years then to find that new formula with with the the four guys that talked about. Uh, I understand that they wanted to refresh. Um, and it was probably natural, but uh, it hasn't quite felt the same. I also, is it just me, or does a silly blue background not help? Like, I used to like it when you could kind of see into the, you know, just see into the studio behind them and see the runners picking up pieces of paper and whatever. And now you you see that awful blue background, and it just feels like they're in front of a green screen and they forgot to project anything onto it. (laughs) (laughs) Completely agree. I I used to like being able to see people popping their head over to discuss um, the the, the late goal at uh, at Ashton Gate and how it's going to affect the production values and and whatnot. (laughs) Perhaps a bit over the top there, but I I certainly agree with you on that. But, um, yeah, uh, favourite, what was your favourite moment from, from, from the Jeff Selling soccer side of the era? D- doesn't matter what happens, it was always going to be. And there's been a red card at um, oh. Fratton Park, hasn't the Chris Camaro? As the Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the one. Um, that's the moment. It's it's the, uh, there's been a red card at Fratton Park. That's, that, I mean, that will go down in, in history as one of the great TV moments, let alone one of the great... <laughs> Football on TV moments. Uh, yeah, Cammy thought he'd been substituted. Was it Van der Bore? Am I right in thinking It was that Daniel was Van der Bore, yeah. There we are. There we are. Yes, there we go. Um, anything else that you want to bring up before we, we draw things to a close? No, I think that was it this week, Dan. I haven't I haven't had a, a lot of time to look at, at the Football League and I didn't watch any of it at the weekend so I'll maybe make an effort uh, the first week that we're, we're back after the international break I'll I'll, um, I'll make sure I've had a bit of a scan of the football league and watched all the, the highlights and, and try and bring something to bear because I know we do have people who listen who are, who are fans of teams in the football league and we, we do like to, to at least touch on it now and again but I, I just didn't have time this weekend. The football league deserves more than a passing thought to be perfectly honest Um Right, well, that's been a, a really good, really, really enjoyed that. Some really inter- interesting topics today. Um, a- again, you can catch the uh, the Big Football podcast on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music. Um, we'd love you to, to give us a download and a follow. If you give us a follow, it automatically gets downloaded to your device of choice. Uh, and again, a reminder, um, let your dad tell you how bad VAR is because um, one day you'll not be able to and you know, you'll, you'll miss it um, so Paul, Carl, thank you very much for your company this evening, it's been really interesting and um, I'll catch you all again after a while <laughs>